Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. From rising heat waves to freezing temperatures, huge changes in the climate. Emissions of greenhouse gases need to peak within the next three years if we're to stave off the worst effects of climate change. What the UN has published today is a roadmap for saving the world. Some government and business leaders are saying one thing but doing another. Simply put, they are lying. Our planet is dying and there's not much we can do about it. I'm sure most of you watching this are pretty familiar with how severe climate change has gotten. The extreme weather, the ice caps melting, and literally losing more rainforest every day. It's pretty depressing when you actually think about it. We're nearing a point of no return. And while I don't want to sound all doom and gloom over here, it's really just not looking great. If you're watching this in the future, maybe, and hopefully we've solved our issues, or maybe you're living on a giant fireball. I'm not all that sure. But for those of us with even a sliver of hope left, maybe you've asked the all important question, what can you do about it? There has to be something, right? Veganism. Whether or not it's the be all end all savior here, it does seem to help with some things. After all, if the agriculture sector is such a huge polluter and animals are a big part of that, then being vegan cuts out a lot of that, right? That simply seems to make sense. The requirement for larger grazing areas for cattle? No longer needed if you don't have to slaughter cattle. Now we can plant soybeans there and make soy milk as a dairy alternative. If you're vegan, you can help reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And according to some sources, these emissions may be decreased by 35% if half of the animal-based diets went vegan. Even just switching one animal product to a plant-based product could have a huge impact. Instead of a burger, have an impossible burger. But hold on and slow your unbuttered roll because nothing is ever that simple or that black and white, especially when we're living in this late stage capitalism hellscape. If you want to go vegan, by all means, go vegan. But a lot of the information surrounding veganism isn't totally correct. There are a lot of factors you have to consider, including things like monocropping, deforestation for crops, effectively using land, and the extreme values some vegans have to the point of seemingly placing cattle over people. So the question today is, does going vegan really help the earth as much as we've been led to believe? Or does it harm the planet in ways we haven't really thought about yet? That's what we're gonna try and find out on today's episode of The Corporate Casket. It brings more attention to the animal holocaust. Animals are subjected to rape, torture, enslavement, abuse, and murder, and I'm bringing light to that. It's a multi-class screen. Well, yeah, I'm still much sharper than I was, mm -hmm. and I think that I was at one point pretty malnourished. The state of Michoacan is Mexico's main strawberry growing area, but the farming so has we, taken its toll on the land. Should we try to exterminate it? Is the way we should deal with problems to try and yeah, exterminate it? Well, when I hear about these cases where someone has like a single serving of fish, you know, the life just changes overnight. It's just physiologically not really possible. That screams to me placebo effect. Even if One of the tragedies of our times is the monocropization, not just of our agricultural system, but I think of so many other aspects of modern life. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, 
Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Monocropping is actually one of the key arguments and controversies against an all-vegan diet. And I'm gonna be really blunt here, it's pretty difficult to find unbiased sources on this. This is a very heated topic. And it's almost even harder to find ones that talk about the benefits and downsides of the farming industry. Because on one hand, you have sites like Ethical Omnivore stating that veganism requires industrial monocropping, while on the other, you have the vegetarians of Washington writing on how the farming industry requires these same tactics to feed cattle. But let me just pull back for just a moment. Let's go over what monocropping is and is it even a bad thing? To put it simply, monocropping is exactly as it sounds, one crop. Before the Green Revolution, farmers had to rotate crops on their farmland so that they wouldn't starve the soil of nutrients. But thanks to developments in the 1950s and 60s, chemical fertilizers and pesticides became more common. Now you can use chemicals to put the nutrients back into the earth and keep bugs away. As unfortunately, insects are a natural part of monocropping and just plant life in general. Well, this is except for the part where the Green Revolution didn't exactly do what it promised. See, the idea here was that hunger would go down, double the crops, double the food. However, over time, the consequences of this have actually become quite dire. Now, rice, maize, corn, and wheat contribute to more than 50% of the human diet. World hunger is still a thing, and even if someone isn't starving, they may not have any diversity in their diet, leading to malnutrition and sickness. The Lancet wrote in 2019 that the current food systems have led to an increased risk in heart disease, stroke, diabetes, and diet-related obesity, all of which pose a greater risk to morbidity than unsafe sex, alcohol, drugs, and tobacco use combined. In a way, monocropping is killing us all over the world. And not only that, but it's hurting the earth too. Remember how I said you can use chemical fertilizers to help the soil get its nutrients back? Well, those chemicals, turns out, shocking, aren't really that great for the environment. The runoff pollutes waterways, damages ecosystems, and more and more pesticides and fungicides are needed to maintain the land. One study published on Elementa states, quote, methane emissions, a potent greenhouse gas from fertilizer manufacturing are an estimated 3.5 times higher than the US EPA's estimate of methane emissions for all industrial processes in the United States. In other words, don't go blaming cow farts for all the methane as there's a lot more to it than just that. By no means is it only vegans that use monocropping. So why would I talk about this in an episode about veganism? Well, it sure seems like the obvious solution here is to try and scale back the monocropping, even if it isn't a simple one. However, veganism mostly relies on this practice to farm staples needed in their diet, such as soy and wheat. And I know what you might say. Well, what if we just took the land that the cows are grazing on and use it as farmland for those crops instead? As it turns out, cattle is an effective part of using land. Some of the areas they graze on just can't really be used as farmland, whether it's because of rocky terrain or soil. Plus cows don't just eat wheat or corn either. They can eat things that humans can't and which would be considered waste. Anne Reardon actually discusses this during one of her videos about which milk you should drink. And in it, she talks about everything from environmental factors to the treatment of the cows. And while everyone has to do what's best for them, it doesn't seem like any single one answer is perfect and flawless. Just being able to go out in the paddock and the calf being able to drink from the cow and then we still get the milk. But in reality, if you did that, 
In addition to all of this, monocropping can hurt humans in ways we may not even think about. With it being such a large scale industry, there are fewer family farms and increased financial burdens on these that do exist. And that means that numerous local cultures worldwide have all but vanished. There's already so much exploitation in the farming industry. John Oliver actually spoke about how it's one of the worst employers out there in a recent episode. So it kind of balances out. The way our farm labor system works is deeply exploitative. But the thing is, that is very much by design. And this so is only exacerbating the existing issue. If you don't want to eat a locally caught fish, that's okay. But you can't tell me that the emissions from shipping monocropped avocados is healthier for the earth by comparison. And the meat industry has plenty of issues too. I am not making any excuses for them. I've even already made an episode just about Tyson alone recently. So I'm not going to deny that in the slightest. And I'm sure if I went through each company one by one, one that would be many, many episodes and it would all be terrible. But the reality is unfortunately in capitalism, as we currently reside within a society that operates off some variation of it supposedly, uh, everything in capitalism sucks. And so even when you try and do something good, chances are there's a company out there that's just gonna ruin it for you through bad business practices, and you may not know it until you decide to follow the chain. And unfortunately, that happens in veganism too. Now, of course, there's a lot of nuance here. I don't think any source that I've seen has given me every single pro and con related to monocropping without any bias whatsoever. But let's try and move on to some other issues within veganism. Let's talk about animal substitutes. Some of the substitutions for animal products are far from sustainable or cruelty-free. And I don't just mean the meat either, but other objects like pleather, plastic leather, whatever the hell you wanna call it. it. It is cheaper and arguably more ethical because it's not made from animals, but it's not faultless by any means. Typically, these products are actually made with plastics like polyurethane or polyvinyl chloride, which you guessed it, are absolutely terrible for the environment. PVC in particular is far from green as it's not even degradable. This means that those 33 million tons that are being produced each year are not going to truly break down. The pieces become smaller, but that's all that's really happening. Animals can eat them and potentially die from them. And while you personally might feel that wearing pleather is better than an animal, animals themselves can be harmed either way. There are plant and sand-based silicone leathers that aren't plastic, can be recycled or degrade easier, but these are unfortunately still a lot harder to come by and they're a little bit more expensive too, and sometimes a lot bit more expensive. So they're not quite yet a convenient, easy and greener solution, but hopefully they will be in the future. The New Zealand Herald also makes the point that leather can be sustainable. Once an animal is used for meat, using the hide for clothing is, well, kind of better than letting it go to waste, quote, Veganism doesn't consider the impact of replacements, bamboo shoes instead of leather shoes, for instance. Bamboo is a crop in this context, and it is possible that the land could be used for growing food instead of material for shoes. Leather is a component of an animal, so when the animal is killed for food, the hide, a co-product, can be used for other purposes. Similar sustainability problems could be said of other vegan fabrics too, like those that replace fur or wool. Yes, polyester, nylon, and faux fur are cheaper, dry quickly, and have waterproof abilities, but they're also unfortunately unsustainable and creating polluting microfibers. The Malta Sustainability Forum has a handy list of pros and cons for vegan fabrics. And while just about any textile is going to have its own ups and downs, I think it's important to recognize that something being vegan doesn't automatically make it better, sustainable, or ethical. 
PETA, of course, lists organic cotton as the number one alternative to wool. In their articles, they say, wool is so yesterday. PETA writes that vegan fabrics won't involve punching and stomping on sheep. And it's true that sheep should be handled better in the wool industry, and I'm not going to deny or even argue that point. That is true. They could be handled in a low-stress manner, shearers could be accredited, and any injuries they sustain should be treated effectively. And again, I'm not going to deny all of that. There's a lot of corrupt things going on in essentially every corner of any industry. But when PETA goes and encourages its readers to buy organic cotton, like that industry is also rife with abuse too. According to World Vision, up to 99% of the world's cotton farmers live in developing countries where reports of child labor and child abuse are rampant. It's one of the largest agricultural industries in the world, but the conditions are horrific. Many child laborers receive little to no pay despite working in extreme temperatures all day while having to neglect their education. And yes, these children are also spraying toxic pesticides in the fields, breathing that in, and of course, they can die from that over time. It is disgusting that sheep are abused in the wool industry. It is also disgusting that children are abused in the cotton industry. Both of these things can be true at the same time, so let's not act like cotton is this fantastic abuse-free alternative. Aside from cotton, hemp is another common material and alternative I see listed because it's biodegradable and it doesn't need pesticides and fertilizers to grow. Some sources have said that these plants are naturally resistant to pests, and as they help soil regeneration, it seems like a win-win already. Even mainstream sources agree that hemp is a sustainable alternative that the fashion industry needs. The hemp market is growing too, and on MSF, there's only one real con listed, and that's that it's expensive, as in really, really expensive. Can you afford to pay $75 for lightweight shorts, $45 for a t-shirt, $20 for socks, just one pair? What about $30 for a pair of underwear or $90 for a flannel? Don't get me wrong, if you're a millionaire or a billionaire, though I know most certainly millionaires and billionaires probably are not listening to my content, but if you, I mean, not even that, if you are in a comfortable financial position where you can afford to pay that amount of money for clothing, you essentially can afford for your clothing and your lifestyle to be more sustainable, hemp does sound like a fantastic alternative. And I would love to see awareness around hemp grow and hopefully these protections put in place so it doesn't end up riddled with the abuse we see in the farming and cotton industries. But it simply isn't realistic to say that everyone should shop sustainably when the cost of doing so is so high right now. When you have to spend a week or two's worth of food on a single outfit, I just think that most people aren't gonna find that super practical. And in my opinion, I think one of the best ways to be more sustainable is to really ask yourself what you need when you're going to buy. Are you buying it for a quick fashion trend or because you genuinely do not have any t-shirts that fit you anymore? If it's the former, can you repurpose the product after you're done with it? Or find something else in your closet to repurpose? Maybe you can shop secondhand, learn to repair clothing that rips, take care of the clothing you do have to make them last longer. There are alternatives. Again, I completely understand that some people rely on fast fashion sites because they're size inclusive and cheap. And it's a genuine need for many, not just the size inclusivity, but the price as well too. Let's be real, no one, at least in the US, really, you know, if you're a minimum wage worker, you can't really afford to live anymore in this country, period. It's absolutely insane. You have to have multiple jobs, multiple roommates. So yeah, when it comes to clothing choices, are you gonna go, oh yeah, $90 for a flannel or $12 for a flannel on a fast fashion website? I get it, it sucks, maybe it doesn't make you feel good, but unfortunately, that's our reality. Life really does suck right now. But 
Before leaping to plant-based or synthetic fabrics, I think it's really worth considering what sustainability means in your closet and in your life. Vegan fabrics won't be right for everyone, even though many vegans are not judgmental or assume the worst of people. I do find it really difficult, however, to tolerate those like the vegan teacher who go around acting like you're automatically a horrible person because you own a leather jacket or a wool coat. The reality of the situation is not everyone has the luxury of choosing hemp and not every vegan fabric is a better option. Plus, I also just kind of find it really silly that even she makes the suggestion of burying your old leather jacket if you have one. Another option she says is that you can donate it, but yeah, she suggests holding a funeral for your jacket. If you've got a perfectly functioning and warm leather jacket, please donate it to someone who needs it instead of just sticking it in the ground, okay? Like, it's, it's gonna be okay. But this, as well as the abuse within the cotton industry, it actually brings up another point of contention with the vegan community. Some of the more extreme members, such as the vegan teacher, have reached unhealthy and frankly, absurd levels. There's one animal they don't care about at all and then consider them beneath all the rest, humans. I am all for being passionate about a cause, but when it literally comes at the expense of human life, not so much. To be perfectly clear, many vegans do care about humans. I am not making a generalization about most vegans or even all vegans. It is this very small minority group. I have friends that are vegans, different variations of plant-based, and I myself kind of prefer certain vegan alternative foods and lifestyle choices over the, I guess, non-vegan variations, not because I want to make any particular statement or whatever, but because I just think the food tastes better or I like the cleaning product better. That's perfectly okay. And many vegans are vegan in the first place because they want to help humanity and work on saving this big blue rock that we're floating on. But there's no denying that any movement has extremists and the ones in the vegan community are actually really harming their cause and not helping it like they think. If you have to be cruel to people to send your message about loving animals, I think you're doing it wrong. If you speak down to others and act self-righteous to advocate for compassion, I think you're doing it wrong. Essentially, if in order for you to feel like you're moving up, you have to drag somebody down, I don't think you're doing it right. And people like the vegan teacher, I think, in my opinion, are doing it wrong. She's one of the most outrageous examples, so I really could not bring her up, but she's not alone by any means. There are sects of veganism, just little pockets that can actually appear really cult-like. Now, this is true of any community, as we know, and some of the most extreme voices are often the loudest. And this is especially true with PETA and others like them. The Chicago Tribune has long since claimed that writing that PETA cares about animals more than people as they've launched campaigns that ridicule overweight celebrities. Apparently in 2004, they planned on sending vegetarian starter kits to John Goodman, Luciano Pavarotti, Ruben Studdard, and John Madden, because there's no better way to get your case heard than insulting people, right? Well, PETA, as you know, are known for their shock campaigns, so this isn't exactly surprising at all, but it is still so incredibly cringeworthy and absolutely dense of them. Quote, PETA called Pavarotti three tenors rolled into one and said Goodman looks like he's been indulging in a few too many buffalo wings. So yeah, I think I agree with the Chicago Tribune on this one. I think it's a really lame way to promote an agenda. Not every animal advocacy group needs to drop what they're doing and care about humans instead. Yes, there should be people that are devoted to animal welfare, but why does one of the biggest animal rights organizations out there have to be such an asshole? Why does that mean smear campaigns are by any means a totally acceptable form of advocacy? Behavior like this has, without a doubt, spread the anti-veganism movement far and wide. 
Now, anyone that loathes this over-the-top behavior can point to it and somewhat understandably say they don't want any part in what vegans are promoting because it's such an alienating message. One study from Science Direct explained that when it comes to social media, many vegans and anti-vegans have just outright bullied each other, further drawing a line in the sand between them. And as vegan communities grow, anti-vegan communities have also banded together and held festivals or even eaten raw meat at vegan cafes, which I also think is just really gross. Many anti-vegans tend to believe the opposite side is, quote, militant, hostile, overly sensitive, hypocritical, annoying, self-righteous, opinionated, inflexible, and judgmental. And the thing is, they're not entirely wrong, even if I'm sure vegans could say the same of these people. However, what's especially telling is the backlash that former vegans have had to deal with. I'm sure many see detractors as those who have gone from a healthy lifestyle to one where they're slaughtering innocent animals. But if diet and health is a personal informed decision, then the love of God, no one should face death threats for making a choice that's right for them. But here we are. Former vegans have been branded as murderers by their old communities, even when a vegan diet wasn't really working for them. Tommy Kelly, over time, was passing blood and dealing with short-term memory loss, mouth ulcers, dry skin, low libido, slow hair growth, and migraines on his vegan diet. He genuinely didn't want to go back, but once his nurse, dietitian, and psychiatrist all recommended it, he slowly reintroduced ethically sourced animal products back into his diet. Veganism had become his identity. He'd organized vigils at slaughterhouses before, but when he started eating meat again, he received death threats from strangers. Never mind his well being and health as a human, screw how sick he was, right? His needs and health as a human were not important at all in this scenario, I guess. The same goes for Maddie Limburner, an influencer who reintroduced eggs and fish into her diet after six years of veganism. She needed to do it for her health and overall well-being. But according to a few vegans, she's a snake, a sellout, and quote, a selfish narcissist who is going back to killing animals again. And I'm sorry, but what exactly? I, this barrage of hate is incredibly unwarranted and ridiculous. And it's so frustratingly common that it's I don't know, it's bizarre that maybe it doesn't get more attention. It's not even as if these former vegans are coming out and saying, I'm going to be a carnivore because I miss the taste of juicy flesh. They lessened their meat consumption and have done their best to find ethically sourced meat too. Frankly, I think that's something that vegans should also be striving for. Not every person out there is going to be willing or able to go vegan, but if the community can promote shopping local and finding compromises and alternatives that are better for the environment and animals, isn't that at least a step in the right direction? Isn't taking any steps in the right direction better than no steps? But why bash someone that isn't willing to go to the furthest extreme that only alienates and I really think hurts your cause? There are some benefits to veganism without a doubt, but people aren't going to see that message when it's being presented in such an aggressive way. And when you see what happens when someone has to introduce non-vegan items into their diet, how they're ostracized and sent death threats and humiliated and insulted, why would anyone willingly wanna go through that? Like, oh, let me try and be part of this community, but if it doesn't work, I'm gonna get death threats. That doesn't seem very welcoming. No one should feel fear, guilt, or shame because they have to do what's best for their body, their needs, and their lifestyle. It's also really frustrating to see plant-based channels pick apart the language of former vegans, criticizing them and implying that they simply just don't work hard enough or just don't care about animals enough. his language change. In his message where he revealed he was quitting the vegan lifestyle, for example, he refers to sea animals as seafood, which is a simple and perhaps subconscious attempt at distancing himself from the fact that these animals are sentient beings. 
We see the same thing of Elise, another ex-vegan YouTuber previously. Plant-based news also goes on to speculate that many former vegans eat eggs or fish first because they seem to be the most far removed from the animal. You know, ones that you can pet and hold, you may feel more guilty about harming. And I don't fully disagree with them that the chickens laying these eggs often come from factory farms and there is animal abuse there. But it's also really unrealistic for this host to expect every person to be able to thrive without any animal byproducts whatsoever if they do it right by his standards. Even the doctor that he consults with admits that these diets are extremely difficult, especially for children. This isn't even beginning to talk about the cost and accessibility issues either, because I know that's another really big talking point and one that I think gets overlooked for reasons that again, I'm not sure why. And perhaps I'm misinterpreting or misunderstanding his words, but when the comments are littered with stuff like, I've been vegan for 30 years, it's not that hard, or being vegan is so easy, and these ex-vegans were never vegan, but plant-based dieters with a low-key eating disorder. That's a really frustrating set of statements to see. If you really have the goal of helping people become vegan, then spreading responsible messaging is important. Vitamin B12 only comes from animal foods, so vegans need to ensure they're taking supplements. And at the risk of not doing so, as the chair of the British Dietitian Association for London, Sophie Medlin explains, it can have some really devastating consequences. She also says that genetics plays a role in how we can convert fatty acids, so not everyone is going to be the same. Some of us will really struggle to convert the nutrients we need from plant-based sources, and that's okay too. Again, at the end of the day, you have to do what's right for you, whether that's veganism or something else. No diet is perfect for everyone. And from what I've seen, many of these ex-vegans seem to have found a common ground where they're happy and healthy. The hate, in my opinion, is undeserved and unwarranted at best. But if you don't go vegan, the planet's going to die and we're all doomed, right? Well. That's also not exactly true, because as per usual, there's downsides to everything and nothing is good in this world. So before we get into individual responsibility, let's just take a quick moment to thank today's sponsor. And if you're enjoying this episode, wish it was ad-free, maybe had some bonus episodes or I don't know, an amazing community of people to chat with, you should check out the Patreon, patreon.com Illuminati. We live in an increasingly automated world, but some things still require tedious manual work. Luckily for e-commerce business owners, shipping is no longer a manual task thanks to ShipStation. ShipStation makes it easy to automate shipping tasks for orders from every marketplace in one simple dashboard. You can have effortless integration for everywhere you sell online, including Amazon, Etsy, eBay, Shopify, and more. Manage every order from one dashboard, print shipping labels, easily compare rates and delivery times to optimize every shipment every single time. And as I think I've mentioned recently, I had a friend that signed up and I found out there was an app for ShipStation, which I had no idea about. They've been using it. They have like this little thermal printer, I think is what it's called. And it connects with the thermal printer and they can just print their orders from the app directly to the printer and then literally ship their packages out and go. It is incredibly, it's cute. I think it's really cool. I had no idea. And it's just like, wow, you don't need a computer. You literally can work off your phone and do this. So. They're really loving that. And uh, I've obviously been keeping tabs on what they're up to. And I'm like, oh, well, this is pretty spiffy. Thank you, ShipStation. Even cooler stuff, things I didn't know. I learn every day. Speaking of cool stuff with ShipStation though, you'll get up to 84% off of USPS and UPS rates. And hey, if that's not enough, you can use my promo code to try ShipStation free for two months. Over 130,000 companies have grown their e-commerce businesses with ShipStation, and 98% of companies that stick with ShipStation for a year become customers for life. So it really works. 
So spend more time growing your business when you automate shipping tasks with ShipStation. Go to ShipStation.com and use code CASKET today and sign up for your free 60-day trial. That's ShipStation.com, code CASKET. I've touched upon this topic before as it related to a different episode, and I think that this last point is especially relevant to make here. No one is responsible for climate change individually. And while all of us collectively can have an effect, it's not all that accurate for vegans to spread the word that veganism can save the world. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but this guilt trip style of messaging is not completely accurate. New research has suggested that humanely raised meat is actually the most ethical way to eat if we want to save the planet. Even just one single pig raised in a pasture can eat vegetable waste and surplus milk, then contribute to ecosystem health and feed a family the meat they need for months. Dr. Jacqueline Rowlworth, speaking with the New Zealand Herald, has also advocated for a moderate omnivorous diet. The Guardian has advocated for keeping livestock numbers low at farms and keep biodiverse pastures that reduce the output of methane gas. In another article, this one from The Atlantic, researchers suggest that modest portions of meat can be eaten sustainably if we change the way we raise livestock. To be blunt here, I don't think half the world, let alone everyone, can be convinced to become vegan. But I do think that advocating for moderation and better farming practices can help. Unfortunately, for the more extreme vegans out there, this doesn't seem to be their goal. We've seen people shame individuals for eating eggs and fish when harmful industry practices are actually the ones to blame. Instead of going after someone for eating a fish, I think more of us, omnivores, vegans, and carnivores alike, can band together and advocate for a sustainable industry instead of worrying about what's on someone else's plate. And that's to add to the fact that literally at this point in the US, just getting any type of food is expensive. Grocery costs have gone up exponentially high and that's in all categories, not just meats or grains or candies or whatever. The cost of animal-free product alternatives typically are more expensive too. And I know because I buy some of those products, right? I prefer you know, oat milk and almond milk to regular milk. I know they're more expensive. I know that. But like, I don't want to die on the porcelain throne every day because for some reason or another, I had milk that day. But the reality is, if you don't have the money for it, you can't do it. And that's not worth shaming somebody over. Like, wow, oh my God, you're poor, so you can't be vegan. Like to a degree, being vegan is kind of like an upper middle class, like rich thing, at least in the US. Like if you live in the city and stuff, to be, to be vegan, to be like, you know, as sustainable as they want to be. It's a very expensive lifestyle. And for a lot of people, it's not financially viable. So again, my point remains, why don't we take small steps in the right direction instead of just shaming someone for not taking the leaps and bounds immediately that, you know, you or whatever your standard is that you want it to be. I think any step in the right direction is better than no steps in the right direction. And just as an unfortunate and very kind of gloomy update and ending to this episode, I just want to put it out there that recently a vegan influencer starved herself to death and it was accidental. I don't think it's appropriate to use this tragedy as a way to steer a narrative and say that all forms of veganism are bad. Many people die from all sorts of different diets. The only thing I want to stress here is to please choose a diet that will make you happy and healthy and to please be careful no matter what diet you're on. With all of that being said, that's where I'm going to end today's episode of The Corporate Casket. Thank you so much for joining me and I look forward to seeing you in the next one. Bye.